Hello, everybody, and a very pleasant good afternoon to you, wherever you may be. This is your Inside Track host, Bruce Ash, along with my co-host, Ed Wilkinson, welcoming you to a special edition of Inside Track. Thanks for tuning in this afternoon. We've got another action-packed uh, show for you today. After the weekend rundown, we're going to talk to Amy Sterner-Nelson about the horror she and her husband, as well as their daughters, experienced when Amazon and the DOJ conspired to force a civil forfeiture of their assets. After the bottom of the hour, former Special Forces warrior Frank Antonori talks to us about the Russian invasion in Ukraine from the perspective of Frank's experience as a Green Beret. Roughneck 9-1 has vast experience fighting as an insurgent in Afghanistan. And before we get rolling, let me remind you that Inside Track is brought to you by our great sponsors, Eric Rudin of Essential Pest, who shares your dislikes of bugs, vermin, and weeds, Jamie and Gary Kipper from Tucson Iron Metal Surplus, their junk is your treasure, and Joy and Allie at Corazon Cabinets, cabinets for your home that you'll love. Also helping support Inside Track is my friend and Inside Track co-host, Eb Wilkinson from Wilkinson Wealth Management. Let Eb help you never have to depend upon socialist security. All of our sponsors are locally owned, family-run businesses you can depend upon. Eb and I do, so should you. Okay, before we go to our first break and greet Amy Sterner Nelson, let's go to the weekend rundown. No doubt... You are aware 150,000-plus Russian soldiers, airmen, sailors, and special operators have invaded Ukraine earlier this week from positions in Russia, Belarus, and the Crimea. In a long rambling and at times vitriolic speech on Tuesday, President Putin announced the aim of the military operations would be to decapitate the national leadership in Kiev and replace the democratically elected President Zelensky with a Moscow stewed regime under the guise of protecting ethnic Russians who live in Ukraine. His premise is a lie. The naked truth is the invasion is all about the return of Soviet land buffers for Mother Russia and a halt to NATO expansion. He has suggested that the invasion would stop and no further attacks elsewhere would be taking place if he gets his way in Ukraine. We've seen this movie before. We know how it ends. Some EU and American rationalizers, even inside the current government, claim that taking future Ukraine membership in NATO off the table is really of no consequence. Perhaps... But why should the West give up any NATO alliance in any European country with a gun pointed at our head? God help us if we repeat the mistakes in the Sudetenland and Czechoslovakia. As of this morning, Russian troops have been met with stiff resistance reported inside the capital of Kiev. I will never refer to that city as Kiev with heavy losses being taken by the Russians. For the moment, Ukraine has kept control in Kiev. Eb? A second wave of Russian invasion troops have also struck near Lvov in the west, including Ivano, uh, Franvisk, and Brody. Air and missile assaults have not only been aimed at the military leadership targets, they've also been targeting several civilian uh, targets 
it uh, in major cities as well. This afternoon, many tens of thousands of Ukrainians are in hiding in the underground subway system. Fighting is reported to be fierce all over the country. And although Ukrainian forces are vastly outgunned and outmanned, the Russians have taken considerable losses, including shooting down two of their large Antonov troop carriers and a number of Russian attack aircraft. Surprisingly, thousands of Russian citizens have been protesting against Putin's invasion of sovereign Ukraine, and there have been over 2,000 arrests. Doing what they can do with limited resources, the Ukrainian forces have killed at least 3,500 Russians and taken several hundred prisoners. A heroic Ukrainian soldier blew himself up to destroy a bridge and stop Russian forces from storming in from Crimea. Ukrainian generals hailed the sacrifice of the young soldier for halting the column of Russian trucks at Henishek in the southern uh, Kherson region. Not surprisingly, the UN has been mostly impotent. NATO has been incoherent, but has finally moved troops into nearby allied countries in hopes of preventing Russian aggression in the uh, allied Baltic states next door. Today, America announced that $350 million in lethal aid will immediately be sent to rearm the Ukrainians. It's probably too little and too late. The USA could have sent the 200 soon-to-be-retired but perfectly good aircraft like A-10 tank killers and high-performance F-15s and F-16s as well as hundreds of retired Bradley fighting vehicles before the invasion under a Lend-Lease scheme but we were either too weak or short-sighted to do. That's sort of like the Afghanistan withdrawal. It's been reported that there are plenty of former Air Force and Navy pilots who would be ready to transport and fly into combat to support the Ukrainian defense. Sadly, though, that time has passed. U.S. troops stationed in America as well as in Central Europe have been redeployed in Poland and the Baltics, though Germany has largely been quiet as Russia has them seriously conflicted due to their reliance on Russian energy. Eb? Ukrainian citizens between 18 and 60 who can fight have been given weapons and ammunition, but there have been hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians seeking refuge in Romania, Poland, Hungary, and Moldavia. Some have estimated that 5 million could leave their homes. Poland said they'll be able to welcome 1 million Ukrainians. Ukraine President Zelensky remains in Kiev and insists on addition arms uh, to continue the fighting as well as entry into the NATO or EU. Russian special operators are reported to have killed lists of prominent leaders and those who oppose, oppose Russian aggression. And plainclothes Russian assassins are roaming the streets right now in Kiev waiting to strike. The current American president told Americans they would have to sacrifice tolerating with higher fuel and food costs, blaming the Ukrainian war. That is more disinformation from the White House. In fact, had the president not dismantled the energy-independent Trump policies out of spite directed at the former president on Inauguration Day, not only would Americans continue to enjoy energy independence and low fuel costs, but America would be able to flood the world with American energy to keep oil prices super low, as well as giving Germany and other European countries a balance against the Soviets. With all of Biden's talk about the strongest sanctions ever against Russians, 
an unreported, a largely unreported fact is America still buys billions in Russian energy from Vladimir Putin's gas station. Now priced at over $100 per barrel, oil sales to America and the, U- and the EU fuel Putin's war in Ukraine. How foolish the president and John Kerry are. Lastly, on a personal note, both mine and my wife's family came from America from a small village in western Ukraine, southeast of Lvov. But for the grace of God, we are a third generation to live in freedom here in America. And ironically, our Jewish families left in 1906 because of Russian Cossacks who hunted down, who hunted down Jews and ravaged Ukraine. I'm proud to say that the American Joint Distribution Committee and the Jewish Federations of North America have consistently provided critical support for Jewish communities in the former Soviet bloc countries and is speedily mobilizing to respond to the growing crisis in Ukraine. In times of crisis, we can show solidarity by helping the helpless in Ukraine. Please contact the Jewish Federation if you're so inclined at 577-9393. That's 577-9393. Or go to the website www.jfsa.org to find out how you can help the helpless in Ukraine be saved from the Russian war machine. That's the rundown. Mr. Producer, let's take our first break and hear messages from our great sponsors. And when we return, Amy Sterner Nelson joins us until the bottom of the hour to talk about her family's battle against Amazon and the DOJ over civil forfeiture. You're listening to Inside Track. Jamie Stay tuned. Kipper we'll be right and back. Her father, Gary Kipper from Tucson Iron and Metal. What are they going to see when they come through the gates? So when they come on in, they'll see our building up front. People have free reign to then go out and look in the yard. So it's not a typical scrapyard with a ton of big machinery. We have a couple of forklifts around, but that's about it just to help move material. So when you come in, it's all organized by material, whether it's square tubing, angle iron, roofing. And then there is a pile in the back, which is still organized and easy to get through. But that's stuff that comes over from the scrap. So we're unique in that we get stuff in from the scrap, which a lot of artists and people will like or reuse, whether it's a sink that someone needs for their house. We sell literally anything made of metal. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard. 701 East 36th Street. Open Monday through Saturday. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up with science. You mean you don't use a shoe? No, we use the latest in technology and innovation to eliminate bugs, termites, weeds, and more. No spray cans and lighters? None of that. Only solutions that target insect biology, using chemistry to help protect the environment, people, and their pets. Huh. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up. Call 886-3029 or visit EssentialPest.com. Ask not. What your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Wouldn't it be great if political leaders could create that country again? Learn how to do exactly that, one family at a time. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, of Wilkinson Wealth Management at 777-1911-WilkinsonWealthMGMT.com. Welcome back to Inside Track. Bruce is here. Eb's here. 
on the we're way, waiting to get Amy here. Yeah, on on the way home the other night, I heard an interview on the Glenn Beck show talking about the horrors induced by Amazon against a hard-working family and thought to myself, we had to bring this story to our radio show. Fortunately, we were able to make contact with Amy and our guest, uh, who's our guest today, uh, until the bottom of the hour. Uh, Amy Sterner Nelson uh, will tell us, if we can get her on the line, we're having some technical problems, uh, will tell us the story about her family's battle against brutal actions taken by Amazon and the Department of Justice to try and rob them of the bounties created by their hard work and their good name. Amy Sterner Nelson is an American lawyer, political activist, and entrepreneur. She grew up in Ohio, where she became interested in politics at a young age. She earned degrees in international studies from Emory University and law from New York University. In January 2017, she founded The Riveter, an organization that provides workspace and other services to support working women. Her husband, Carlton, has been a successful entrepreneur and real estate executive for many years. So, um, what we, <laughs> we're still waiting to get the, uh, the connection uh, set up here uh, with Amy. Unfortunately, that hasn't happened yet. Uh, and uh, so, I'm going to kind of, um, you know, twiddle, twiddle my thumbs and, uh, and, and tell you a little more about what happened. Um, um, two years ago, Amazon in, uh, accused Amy's husband of a crime called private sector honest services fraud. Although we uh, know now that Amazon lawyers met with the DOJ 87 times in an effort to persuade the government to charge her husband with a crime, no charges were ever filed. Nonetheless, the government seized their money via civil forfeiture in May 2020. Um, thankfully, they got their money back just last week. However, they spent nearly as much money themselves to try and get that money that they had seized from uh, their uh, bank accounts. Amazon services accused Carlton uh, Nelson of a federal crime that they had never heard of depriving the company of its honest services during his seven years of employment for the tech titan. Based on Amazon's allegations, the government then authorized civil forfeiture and seized their family and business bank accounts. And this included Amy's earnings in a completely unrelated startup called The Riveter, where she's the CEO, and savings from her decade as an attorney. Bruce, I got to tell you, this is absolutely criminal that Amazon can do that and that the DOJ steps up and goes in bed with them to do that as well. Well, uh, Amazon Amazon has hired droves of attorneys uh, who formerly worked at the Department of Justice, and uh, they have hired them to come in and uh, deal uh, with the Department of Justice uh, as their as their uh, uh, servant. And um, so this is what happened to the two of them. Um, they had to sell their home, their car. Uh, they emptied um, Carlton's, that's her husband's, retirement account just to pay lawyers. Their family of six has stayed in their sister's basement, my father, her father-in-law's condo, 
and parents' townhome, while the girls have attended six different schools and daycare providers in four separate states. So they're spread out all over the place. Yeah, and when they tried to rent a house for their family, the owner learned of the forfeiture online and then required them to pay a year of rent up front. And the case's publicity has obviously devastated her husband's career and also Amy's in the bargain. Uh, now, from just as a kind of a review, uh, a review on on civil forfeiture, for most of the country's history, civil fortune, civil forfeiture was an obscure backwater. At the time of the founding, civil forfeiture was limited to confiscating ships and cargo that ran afoul of customs duties. But now, civil forfeiture has become wildly popular amongst law enforcement officials, precisely because it doesn't require a criminal uh, uh, conviction or even an indictment uh, to confiscate somebody's property. And, uh, Eb, uh, I've learned that, in fact, over the past two decades, state and federal governments together have seized nearly 70, excuse me, almost 68 billion, sorry, $69 billion from Americans. Uh, Both anecdotes and statistics tell the story that civil forfeiture is deployed disproportionately by people of color, low-income Americans, and immigrants. I absolutely believe that. They have. And and it's usually because if you're poor, you don't have money to fight whoever the authorities are, and you'd rather take, you know, the, 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 the knock on it. And, and see if uh, you can you know get your name back. Can you hear me now? Um, so seizing af- assets also... Try that. Uh, see if I can hear you. Uh, to Tell me something. Federal prosecutors obtain 97% can you, can you of hear me, Ray? convictions from guilty pleas instead of trials. Civil forfeiture is a powerful tool because if defendants cannot afford an attorney to fight back in court, let alone feed and house their family... They're far more likely to fold and accept whatever plea bargain a prosecutor offers, regardless of innocence. And that's what's really happened to Amy and her husband, Carlton. And and it's taken them two years to come even close to getting any of their money back. They're ba- they're they're really not even even in this in this thing, and it's been impossible for the two of them to. Uh, uh, you know, to to get other jobs and and to really exist in this world, they've funded a GoFundMe. Uh, excuse me, they've started a GoFundMe page, but unfortunately, they haven't been able to uh, to get that going. Eb, if I can make a suggestion, um, let's try calling Amy on your cell phone. Okay. And using the cell phone up against up against the uh, the microphone to see what we can do, because I think right now that's the only thing we can do to get Amy okay. on the line. Hey, this is Amy. Amy. Bruce and Eb, you're kind of live on the air right now with my cell phone against the microphone. Okay. Any port in a storm, Amy, any port in a storm. Um, That's right. We've been talking about your case while we're trying to get the uh, technology resolved, about uh, how you and your husband basically have been drained of everything that you have in the civil asset forfeiture. That's right. About two years ago, my husband's former employer, Amazon, went to the FBI and accused my husband of a crime called private sector honest services fraud. Essentially, Amazon said that my husband deprived them of his honest services as an employee. And based on those allegations, um, the federal government never charged my husband with a crime. 
but they did seize every dollar we had uh, from our bank account. And they held on to it for 21 months where we had no ability to fight for it. And then a couple of weeks ago, they simply just gave it back. Wow. They just yeah. they just gave it back. So they took not only your husband's money, but your money as well. They did. I'm the CEO of a startup called The Riveter. And prior to that, I was a litigator for a decade. And so, you know, I clearly I've been um, earning my own money for, for many, many years. And but my husband and I shared bank accounts because we didn't think we were criminals. Um, and so, you know, they came and they took every dollar from both of our accounts. Amy, this is Bruce, and thanks very much for joining us, even if it's in a weird sort of a way. Um, you know, when I heard about your story uh, um, uh, earlier this week, I said to myself, wow, we have to get this lady on the show. We hear lots of stories about civil forfeiture, uh, mm-hmm. but, but you know, how? why in the world uh, did Amazon, or how in the world did Amazon, using their close relationships at the Justi- Justice Department, decide to upend you and your family's life in 2020? You know, we asked Amazon's lawyers this many times. What, like, what is your goal here? And Amazon's lawyers have told my husband's lawyers that their goal is deterrence. I'm not sure deterrence of what um, my husband, is it that they don't want my husband to work in the real estate development field? which is what he did prior to Amazon and after Amazon. Um, nonetheless, what I do know is that you know Amazon has hired over 100 former federal prosecutors and FBI agents to work for the company. And you put that together with the fact Amazon Web Services, which is the division of Amazon that can host the internet, um, their biggest client is the government. It, it, they house the data and the secrets and the you know, the internet for the FBI, the National Security Agency, the CIA, you put that together and that's a whole lot of access. And I, I, I do know, you know, as we piece together the facts over these many years now, we know that Amazon spoke with the prosecutors nearly 100 times trying to get my husband charged with a crime and he never was. But can you imagine that 100 times? So Bruce and I were talking before the show there's got to be something else besides the fact that your husband was uh, getting paid from two sides, which was disclosed in the employment document. So, you know, I think, um, it, you know, we, we could get into like the, the wonky politics of all of this, but I think, um, I think at a high level that this really relates to, it's a contract issue. Um, the, this, this relates to a bunch of data centers that Amazon has. And there was a contract related to these data centers that was breached. And the contract was breached without a cure period. And the only way that the parties to the contract could breach the contract without a cure period is if one side was, um, if the principal of one side was found guilty or pled guilty to a felony. I can now tell you that the day after that contract was breached by the Amazon side, they went to the FBI and accused various people of a felony crime. And you might say, why does Amazon care? They have endless amounts of money. These are really big real estate transactions. And if Amazon doesn't secure a felony conviction, they're liable for hundreds of millions of dollars. So it's a really high stakes poker game. And really, I think Amazon decided to play the poker game because they have endless amounts of chips. They have all the chips. They're the big stack bully. They have so much money, they can really do whatever they want or it feels that way. So basically, your husband was the fall guy. Yes. (laughs) In in the meantime, during this whole period, your kids were spread all over the place. 
Yeah, so we have four little girls who are today seven, five, four, and two. And those so, are beautiful you know, girls. Would... I've seen the picture, Amy. <laughs> They're beautiful girls. Thank you. I love them so much. And I, I honestly, sometimes I think that the fact that I was their mother saved me through all this because we had something to fight for. You know, our little girls are everything. And, um, you know, we, when this started, my youngest was eight months old. Um, and we've had to, we had to sell our house in Seattle, which we worked so hard to buy, um, sell our house in Seattle. We stayed with my sister. We stayed with my husband's parents. We stayed with my parents. We were in three different States. I mean, and just really the emotional toll of moving a family of six around all those different places and figuring out childcare and figuring out schools, like how much time that has taken away from my life. And I'm someone who's created many, many jobs, you know, with my company at one point we had 120 employees before the pandemic. And, and it's just, it's just disappointing, right? Like Amazon never spoke to my husband about their allegations. My husband has asked multiple times to speak with them and for years they have refused and instead choosing this path, which makes no sense to me. Amy, talk about the abusive civil forfeiture penalties. Your family's not alone. I think uh, most people believe civil forfeiture was a weapon to seize assets from drug lords and mobsters or maybe even ruthless dictators and oligarchs. Why is it being used? Uh, why is government forfeiture being used in civil employment disputes like yours and Carlton's? Well, it's interesting, you know, and I agree with you, we really think of civil forfeiture as something we use against like a Colombian drug lord, or, you know, right now, an example is you hear President Biden say they're going to use it against Putin and, and the Russians who started this war in Ukraine. I really believe they took my money more quickly than they're taking Putin's if I'm being, if I'm, you know, if I think about this. <laughs> I think more. you're right. Yeah, absolutely. I think which, which is, which is horrifying, right? That they will go and they'll take, you know, they'll, they'll take Americans' money without charging them with a crime and with civil forfeiture, you know, just to back up, in a civil forfeiture in America, law enforcement at the local, state, or federal level can go to any American and say, we think your money is the product of a crime and we are taking it. We are not charging you with a crime. We are not going to find you guilty of a crime, but your money is a crime. And then it is your job as the victim of the civil forfeiture to hire lawyers and fight to get it back. In my case, they took the money and then they never charged my husband with a crime. We have never seen the allegations that Amazon made. They have, they're under seal. We've never seen them. We have no idea what they said. And this is years into this. Well, and I just think like due process is the only constitutional right we're guaranteed twice. And I haven't had one bit of it. No, their job is to take the money, use it to expand their powers. And mm -hmm. sadly, you guys were in the way and you had a lot of money. But the good news is you can get your seven-year-old to start painting and you can sell those for like a million dollars. <laughs> You know, to, to loans to, NFTs, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right, let's let's get that's a good good strategy. <laughs> let, let's get to the money part, Amy. How how can um, our listeners and anybody listening to the show uh, worldwide right now? How can they help you? You've you've got a GoFundMe sort of a uh, a setup to help you with yeah. your legal expenses. Tell us about that. We do, and thank you so much for men mentioning that, Bruce. We have a website set up at nelsonsfightamazon.com. That's nelsonsfightamazon.com, and we appreciate every $5, $10 donation. Amazon um, is spending, we think, up to $50,000 a day right now um, in their civil lawsuit against my husband. And so it's a big mountain for us to climb. And I will say the other thing is to write your legislators and say you are against civil forfeiture and that this is an un-American practice. 
Yeah. Civil forfeiture is actually a, a pretty big uh, issue across the country, and especially here in Tucson. One of our colleagues here at the radio station has uh, broadcasted several shows about it. Uh, you were on Tucker Carlson today, uh, I think yesterday, uh, sometime yeah. last week. Um, did you ever imagine that your case would get in front of Tucker Carlson and literally tens of millions of Americans? No, I didn't. But I will say that I'm glad it did. I think that civil forfeiture is something that needs to be more on our radar. Now, I always I look in the mirror and I'm like, I'm just a mom of four who never thought this could happen to my family. And I do feel like if it can happen to me, it can happen to anyone. Well, give us that website once again for the GoFundMe. It's NelsonsFightAmazon.com. Okay, number one, I'm going to make a donation. But number two, unlike those uh, poor bastards that were supporting the Canadian truckers, I'm going to do it from a gift card, and I'm going to put Nancy Pelosi's name and address on it. So <laughs> if they go to bust anybody, it'll be her. All right. <laughs> All right, Amy, thank you very much. Uh, best of luck to you and Carlton and to those uh, beautiful daughters of yours. Thanks for appearing uh, on our show, even if it was sort of a weird way to appear uh, here on Inside Track. <laughs> Yeah, we're using Thank our East so German equipment right now to make sure this takes place. <laughs> All right, best. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, and Amy, we'll be in touch. Best of luck to you. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. All right. Well, uh, I'm not sure where Tom is. I think he might be on assignment. <laughs> um, but, uh, all right, here here he is. And uh, hopefully we can uh, keep uh, Frank Antonori on the show. Uh, or have him back on the show. Let's let's well, go. To, hey, there's a, we can we can uh, we're going to do the same thing with we're going to do the same thing with Frank. Frank, if you're listening, he is. I'm narrow casting to you right now. I'm going to give you a call. Uh, give me a second to find your number here. All right. Let's see. And in the meantime, flaming. here it is, Frank Antonori. Frank. And uh, in the meantime, we're going to go to break. Our long-awaited overdue break. Uh, Tom is like schwitzing on the other side of the uh, of the glass, and uh, we'll go to that. And when we return, Frank Antonori talking about the mess in Ukraine. I'm proud to welcome my good friends at Tucson Iron and Metal Retail to Inside Track as an advertiser. Jamie Kipper and her staff are conservation experts. They sell round and square steel tubing metal plate and roofing materials as well as new and used steel aluminum and stainless steel to ranchers artists interior designers roofers and do-it-yourselfers just like all of the listeners here tucson iron and metal retail is open monday through fridays 8 a.m to 4 30 p.m and saturdays 8 a.m to noon tucson iron and steel retail 701 east 36th street Call 520-209-1576 or go to TucsonIronRetail.com. And when you do call, mention this ad and receive an additional 10% discount on their already great prices. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up with science. You mean you don't use a shoe? No, we use the latest in technology and innovation to eliminate bugs, termites, weeds, and more. No spray cans and lighters? None of that. Only solutions that target insect biology, using chemistry to help protect the environment, people, and their pets. Huh. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up. Call 886-3029 or visit EssentialPest.com. This is Eb Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management. I don't ever want you to be dependent on government ever again. 
I want you to become financially independent. You will never, ever have to depend on socialist security for your survival. We are here to guide you to financial independence. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, at 777-1911-WilkinsonWealthMGMT.com. Welcome back to Inside Track and our very unprofessional radio show today. We're we're using uh, the East German equipment, and uh, but we do have our guest on for the rest of the show this afternoon. It's friend of the show and retired uh, Green Beret Frank Antonori. The topic is Ukraine, and where do we go from here? Thanks for joining us, Frank, on such short notice. And I'm sorry about the uh, East German equipment, but we're going to get this thing to work. Gotcha. gotcha. All right. So it, it sounds like so far... According to reports, the Ukrainians are holding on and giving the Russians a run for their money uh, in Kiev. Uh, but a much larger force uh, is around the corner. I understand about 15 miles away from, from the capital city. Um, once that force hits Kiev, what do you think uh, the chances of success are for the Ukrainians uh, who are fighting the invaders? Well, it- it really becomes a a partisan conflict at that point. I mean, um, the, the the established army, I would argue, is probably not going to exist in its present form because that army would be easily targeted and and hunted by the Russians um, and would suffer you know significant losses. And I'll just give an example. One of the concerns we had when we went into Iraq. Uh, in 2003 was that the Iraqi soldiers would take off their uniforms and dissolve into the populace and run, you know, partisan sort of guerrilla war efforts against us uh, during the Iraq invasion. So I would I would guess that there are similar plans uh, with Ukraine. Uh, and I've seen that President Zelensky has kind of alluded to that, particularly with his call to keep all able bodied men uh, between 18 and 60 in the country for some of that purpose uh, to establish partisan or guerrilla fighters uh, to fight the Russians. And in a partisan conflict, um, it becomes uh, a, a challenge for the occupying army um, because they're, they're an organized stationary force. They have to occupy the land of people that know that land like their backyard. Uh, they have established networks and friendships in that area. They're able to hide and conceal people. They're able to move people. They're able to move ammunition and weapons. And they're able to attack and, and, and blend back into the populace. The only cure for that is not a very uh, popular nor legal under the law of land warfare cure, which is to eradicate the population. And I doubt, although you know Putin is capable and may be willing to do that. The question is, is he going to be stupid enough to try that? Adolf Hitler, of course, tried that last, and there's already been enough similarities drawn between these two guys. But, uh, you know, that would be likely what would happen. I, I think you would see, and I've seen a lot of stuff, and you guys, I'm sure, have been following it too on, on the social media uh, outlets, of, especially on YouTube. It's some, some phenomenal video of partisan fighters and Ukraine fighters taking out Russian armor, uh, taking out other Russian vehicles, taking out Russian soldiers. Um, they're being very effective. They're really bloodying the Russians' nose. If they thought they were just going to stroll in there and they weren't going to get much of a fight, I think they're finding out otherwise now. So if that fight were to go into a, a partisan slash guerrilla fight, it could it could be a nightmare for Vladimir Putin. Well, it's already gone into a partisan guerrilla fight. I mean, you've got You've got women right now that are also taking up arms. 
uh, you've got uh, on on their uh, television, they're showing people how to make Molotov cocktails. And in fact, these people are gathering at churches and police stations to not only get arms, but also learn to and create hundreds and hundreds of Molotov cocktails to fight. And I know, uh, although I won't get into specifics, there are elements of certain units from the United States that are being deployed or are already deployed to neighboring countries that are setting up uh, camps uh, to allow uh, fighters to enter those camps to be trained, provided lethal aid, in other words, weapons of some sort, and then sent back into Ukraine. So you're going to have sort of like a, a, for lack of a better analogy, a Cambodia-type scenario that Putin would have to deal with as well, where you would have troops in Poland uh, providing aid and training to Ukrainian partisan fighters and then sending them back into the Ukraine. So the response in that case, and he's already threatened, of course, uh, with his threat if anybody interferes, but it is, is, is he willing to go that far? That's the question. Well, he's threatening uh, Finland. He's threatening and Sweden. Sweden. Yeah, and Sweden. I mean, I, I've been to Sweden. I've been to Finland. Uh, if he thinks he's having a hard time in Ukraine right now, I mean, he, he, is, he has no idea what he's about to face in Finland and Sweden. Well, um, I've been moose hunting in Finland with some yeah. of the old Finnish warriors from World War II, and they were using their old uh, Mausers. And I said, uh, do you like your Mauser? And he said, yes. Killed many uh, moose, killed many Russians. Yeah, and, it, and, and these it, guys it, take it seriously. They are not going back. No, no. And, and the terrain over there is, is, is insanely difficult for large armored forces. So it requires a lot of dismounted operations. And dismounted operations favor the home team. Um, and, and because you can't bring the heavy weapons, you can't bring that overwhelming combat power. And when it becomes a mano-a-mano fight, uh, that, that's an up-close and personal fight. So the home country tends to, to bear uh, better in those fights, again, because they know the terrain, they know the area, and the advantage goes to them. So that's the challenges uh, with that regard. And again, that's what I think Putin is seeing now in Ukraine uh, in, in, in these regards. Yeah, he may control the urban centers. It's going to be very difficult for him to control the countryside. He'll, he'll capture the military installations. He'll hold those mil- just like he did, uh, just like the Russians did in Afghanistan, but the partisan fighters will blend into the countryside and they'll be harassing, they'll be running harassment operations for months and attriting the Russians. Um, you know, and, and then it becomes basically a war of stomach. How much uh, the Russian army is willing to stomach it and the people in Russia are willing to stomach it and then when do the protests and dissension start uh, in Russia and I mean this they already have Ukraine the last time right this is this is how you Ukraine got their independence um, over the uh, pu- puppet that Putin had installed uh, you had basically a revolt uh, that occurred so I mean it's going to be a similar problem but but they can they can keep the Russians at bay for months if not years um, using you know networks and the home team advantage and that's just uh, in Ukraine without any of the other areas like uh, right. uh, Georgia Romania etc especially if they're going to get aid and I mean if the United States is true to its word and the NATO allies are true to their word that they're going to help uh, Ukraine with military lethal aid, not just humanitarian aid, but lethal aid. Then, yeah, they're gonna. The Russians are gonna be are gonna be really sorry uh, after you know a couple weeks. They're gonna be realizing this was probably a big mistake, and that that should be this president's goal. 
I mean, the commander-in-chief right now saw the blueprint. That blueprint was, was done, you know, back in the 80s with uh, Charlie Wilson's war, where we basically fought a war against the Russians by proxy, by, by arming the Mujahideen to fight the Russians and supported them with lethal uh, aid. And, and it was very effective in, in, in damaging the Russian mystique of how powerful their military was. And it turned out to not be as powerful as they thought it was. Um, so so the, it's always a challenge. You know, we unfortunately kind of experienced that the hard way ourselves not, not too long ago in Afghanistan as well. Uh, and it becomes an issue of can you stomach it? A lot of these places, the local populace can stomach it a lot longer. Imagine if someone invaded the United States. You, you don't care how long it takes you're fighting for your homeland you're going to take as long as it is it, it's going to take to defend your country and fight for you know your homeland but the the invading army's got family and friends back home and they're starting to discuss is this worth it is it worth the blood and treasure to go on this little expedition and that's what really brings about the end of these conflicts right we saw that with vietnam we saw that in afghanistan i mean the stomach is really the political stomach, not the military stomach. The military stomach will be there, but it really becomes a will of the people at that point. Frank, I have a question for you uh, with respect to a resistance, um, and and specifically with Russian, uh, the will of Russian soldiers. Forget about forget about the the uh, guy who's running the country, but this is you know the enlisted men, actually conscripted men and women, as well as some of the lower uh, level officers. Um, Russia and Ukraine have been united by by uh, um, a similar language. They have a a quite a history together. Um, there are definite differences between Russians and 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 yeah. uh, and Ukrainians. But how how much of a will uh, will it be for Russian soldiers to be fighting and killing literally their cousins in in Ukraine? Yeah. Do you think? And how much of an issue do you think that'll be? Yeah, sadly, uh, history has shown that it isn't that that difficult to do if 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 the propaganda and the leadership uh, instills the what would be the dehumanizing factor of the opposition uh, well enough within the ranks. Killing, killing. Uh, we saw that with our own civil war here in the yep. 1800s. I mean, we had brother versus brother. Um, it, it, it is a psychological thing, um, but but uh, <laughs> you know, leadership and propaganda can can mitigate that and overcome that. Um, and I don't think it would be beyond the capability of the current uh, Russian military and and their Ministry of Defense to to continue that effort. Where I think you'll see the the dissension in the ranks is amongst probably the. Const- conscripted enlisted force right. first uh they will probably get to a point where they're going to go you know this isn't this isn't worth it but what they're going to need is they're going to need an escape uh, a way out if that if there is no way out um if they show any dissension in the ranks they'll be they'll be punished uh, if not executed uh if, if they do that during a time of war however if they're able to, to, to find a way to desert uh, where they can get out of there and desert to a neighboring country where they would be given political asylum and maybe, you know, find a way for their families or somehow to get out of the, out of the country. That might be possible. But uh, I, I would think that Putin is already three steps ahead on that question, Bruce. I mean, you think of the guy uh, for, for what it is. The guy was, you know, a top KGB operative. Uh, he's well aware of the challenges that they faced in Afghanistan. He's well aware that there are measures that you can take uh, to exert force on people fighting in a conscripted 
uh, sort of obligation to the Russian army to not de- to uh, defect or not uh, desert uh, because they got family back home and they probably all been told that you know if you desert or you abandon your post or or you defect you know your family's going to suffer the consequences so sure. I'm sure those measures have already been brought out um, with the Russian army so, on how to deal with it sadly I, I think it's going to be very ugly and brutal for those guys if they do decide to desert I think their family's going to pay a heavy price for it unless yeah. they have no family and in uh, order for them to desert, they've got to go to the west or the southwest or the northwest. They can't go north. They can't yeah. desert to the south. Right. right. So, so Frank, so Frank, uh, I want to I want to clear something up. I have never <laughs> felt that this is an American uh, battle to be fought directly. Uh, are you in general agreement, or do you, do you disagree with that? Assertion. No, we shouldn't. We shouldn't stick. We shouldn't stick American soldiers uh, in harm's yeah. way for this fight. Um, I don't see any problem with providing, uh, again, uh, lethal support and training uh, to Ukrainian forces in neighboring countries. Um, you know, we've done that in many conflicts. I mean, I, I was. We used to call them operations other than war, and I took part in quite a few of them, where we would go into a country and train either the uh, armed forces of that country or the partisan guerrilla fighters in that country, and then they would do the fighting. We would not fight directly, but we would train them and support them, uh, and we would influence change, for lack of a better way of saying it, uh, in that various region by doing that. And I think that's what we should be doing as a country, uh, is providing that support and let the Ukrainians fight this fight. Um, you know, that's, that's now, unless, unless Putin gets really crazy and attacks Poland or, or Lithuania or or he goes after Finland or Sweden, then then that's a different story. I yeah. think uh, NATO, even though Sweden and Finland aren't technically NATO countries, uh, they've been very close allies to us uh, over the years. And that would be a line that, that if Putin were to cross it, then the U.S. would have to respond. And, and you know, it, that just brings up the point, Bruce. I, don't know, I, I didn't hear if you guys talked about this earlier. It's just astonishing to me. I, I, I'm a Cold War era uh, warrior. I joined the army in 1984 in the height of the Cold War. I was there when Reagan and his strategy brought down the, the Soviet Empire. And it took years and years and years for that strategy to go into effect and be able to bring the, the Russian Empire to its knees. But economically, uh, you know, destroying them from within by forcing them to keep up with us, uh, with our military buildup. And of course, with Star Wars that, that, that Reagan had brought forward, the Russians just, they just couldn't handle it and their, their country fell apart. And then they had the breakaway republics and Poland broke off and then the wall came down and they just, they just couldn't handle that. And, and now I've seen in less than a year, the current president has undone that. He has literally taken what was a, a peace through strength approach, and he's gone through what is basically capitulation through weakness approach, and he has brought back the Cold War in less than a year. I mean, literally in less than a year. We spent decades waging and, and winning to, to win the Cold War, and the current president has basically undone all of that in a year. I mean, it's just astonishing to me to see how rapidly uh, we could go from a position of strength and, and, and a point where the Russians would never even dream of doing this to where they got the green light 
uh, to go forward and, and our saber rattling to go into other neighboring and, and allied countries. It's just amazing. Because you've got an ineffectual leader. The way that this country is viewed. Yeah, you've got an ineffectual leader that is allowing this to happen. You know, this did not happen uh, under the prior administration at all because they're scared to death of the guy. You know, and, you, you, and, you, and not only that, economically, economically at the time, we were very strong economically. We were independent energy-wise. We had all of, we had all the resources we need. If if somebody wanted to, to to take us on, you know, they couldn't hurt us. You know, but now that we have to import a lot of oil, and mistaken, if if I'm not mistaken, a lot of oil is Russian oil, actually. That exactly. We're, we're importing. And you know, so I mean, at ninety-five dollars a barrel. And you know they need they need oil above sixty or seventy in order to make money, and right. when we had oil down at thirty five and forty dollars a barrel, you know they were bleeding. There's no way they could have invaded. They they didn't have the capital resources to do that, and they also did not have the the will to do that because they're going against a guy with a twitchy eye who said, "I'll blow you out of the water, Bruce." All right, I want to ask a question. We only have about uh, four minutes remaining, Frank. And I think this is this is really kind of the essence, and it's not necessarily strictly a military question. It's a military and uh, diplomatic uh, question. Um, Putin has said that um, uh, Ukraine should be off uh, off the list of any potential uh, entry into uh, NATO, and he has also now been threatening uh, Sweden and Finland about uh you know whether whether or not they would be opposed to them wanting to join nato um how do we how do we as a country uh some people have said uh the, at the white house well you know maybe ukraine the ukraine's really not that important to us but isn't it a, a, a just a damnable sort of a bad decision if we were to agree to take off the table, any potential Ukrainian membership in the EU or in NATO with a gun pointing at our head? Yeah. Um, in, the, in the past, admission to NATO uh, was basically that the country, uh, you know, let's take Poland, for example. When when the Poles and Lech Walesa decided to grant themselves independence and separate and break away from the old Soviet Union, uh, and then they also established their own government, and they got to a point where they basically voted uh, to request admission into NATO, and the NATO allies welcomed them in. I mean, what, what do you do if a country all of a sudden wants to hold that vote? If, if Finland decides that they want to join NATO, um, you know, and they ask to join NATO, I mean, would we turn them down? That, that that's a death sentence practically. That's like a that's sending a message to Putin that we're not we. That is basically a vote not to help Finland. If if we if we were if Finland were to say they wanted mission into NATO and we were to turn them down, I, I wouldn't doubt if Putin didn't go into NATO or didn't go into Finland a few weeks after that. I mean that's a green light. So you have to you have to honor that. If they want to join NATO and they make a request to join the union, the the member states of the of the NATO alliance should should admit them to the to the alliance and then give them the same protection that the other member countries get. If you don't do that, I think you're basically giving the green light to put. And that's what we did with Ukraine. I mean, why do you think he went in there? He got the green light. Right. He he knew that we weren't going to do anything. You know, he knew that basically it was up to him and his forces to do what they needed to do militarily, that he, he, he faced very little opposition from NATO and the United States. And let's face, than, and let's face it, and let's face it, uh, Frank, 
Germany has, for all intents and purposes, sort of uh, retired, maybe temporarily, maybe permanently, uh, from NATO. Well, especially with the UN vote. Yeah, with their UN vote. I mean, it's just, and, and you know, with the, trying to uh, carve out certain things for sanctions and certain things not for sanctions. That was all Germany, right? Right. They're, 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 you know, I mean, what, what, what effect are you going to have if you don't go after petroleum? Natural right. gas or oil. Everything's going to be sanctioned except oil and natural gas. Oh, okay. Everything's going to be sanctioned except the international banking system. Uh, you, right. You know, I mean, it's just insanity right. that that we have. You know, you know, Angela Merkel basically also brought this on, and we all know, uh, you know, the 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 Nord Stream pipeline. Basically, once that pipeline got in there, uh, one minute, Frank. The, the yeah, the necessity to go through uh, Ukraine for for that was gone, and now now there was nothing stopping Russia from going in there. That's the that's the thing. Frank, look, that's all the time we have for today's show. Uh, I, I wish that we had uh, more time to talk to you about this. Uh, I have a feeling, though, this uh, crisis isn't going to end anytime soon. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. Um, uh, your your I, I think your words to to Southern Arizona mean a lot because you've been there. And um, uh, you have insight; very few people do. Yep, yep. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Good, good, good talking to you. All right, Evan. I hope everybody's enjoyed the show today and our chats with Amy Sterner Nelson and Frank Antonori. Mark, I'm sorry we didn't get to your call. I'm hoping Tom might get your number so I can call you on the way home today. Our show is podcasted both on the KVOI website and on Apple Podcasts. Did you know about that? Check us out over 100. Inside Track episodes are shown at Apple Podcasts. And um, until next week, uh, when we talk about the beginnings of the the Kennedy dynasty, uh, this is Bruce Ash. And Ed Wilkinson. uh, Thanking all of our listeners for tuning in today. uh, Praying for um, everybody in Ukraine and the neighboring countries. And wishing you all a very pleasant good afternoon. Customers come first at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. What other kind of customers do you have? So our biggest customers are actually like ranchers and people from outside of the Tucson area. They're buying a lot of square tubing. They're buying a lot of stuff for their ranch to close off fences. We'll sell anything from 10 feet to 10,000 feet to somebody that comes in because we have new steel and surplus steel from steel mills. The reason we're able to get such good pricing on some of this stuff is, A, we sell scrap to the mill. So uh, we have a relationship there, and then we can buy material, what they're making, bringing it back. And so we save on freight, and we have relationships for years with them. So I think that's really our niche market. We'll sell whatever you need. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard, 701 East 36th Street. Open Monday through Saturday. This is Eb Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management. As the new year begins, many things change, but one thing remains the same. People worry about inflation, but it's just a process. Manage your wealth and you manage that process. We use the baby steps. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, at 777-1911-WilkinsonWealthMGMT.com. 